0: Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Podcast. It is NFL week eight. We are pretty much at the halfway point of the season now, and joining us today to help break down the rankings, break down what we're looking at at this point. And of course, it can't be an easy halfway clean because now we have 17 games on the slate. Still bothers me, Matt but joining us today we have a very special guest here he's got a dog's name because he's got that dog in him rufus peabody joining the show rufus how are you doing i'm doing well how are you tom i'm doing great just had a nice weekend went back up saw the family saw my goddaughter for the first time it was it was a nice time in the bay area and as i left there was apparently an earthquake today so i got
1: out at the right time matt how are you doing uh, doing well. It's another, you know, great week of NFL action. So just, uh, happy to be here. And it's great to have Rufus on the show. I'm a, a longtime listener of his podcast, a Bet the Process Podcast with Jeff Ma. I think one of the, uh, I mean, it's not entertaining. Let's be honest. It's not entertaining, nah, but nah, it's, it's one of the, still one of the best, uh, sports betting podcasts out there. Thanks. I-
0: A fantastic endorsement of it's not entertaining, but we'll try and entertain you guys here today. And seriously, do go check out Bet the Process. Get that listener count up to eight because again, fantastic show. And it's great to get a look inside your and Jeff Ma's thought processes behind how you guys mostly just rag on each other, but also occasionally give out some betting advice (laughs) on it. And today, of course, we're going to be talking about plenty of stuff here. Power. When it comes to power rankings, there is nothing better than the Massey Peabody system in terms of just a guidebook that you can look to to start basing a lot of what you're doing off of. We're going to be breaking that down a little bit, but first, let's talk about a, a little bit about you, Rufus. First off, how did you get your start in gambling?
2: That's that's a good question, and it certainly was not intentional. I I talked my way into an internship at this company called Las Vegas Sports Consultants after reading an article in ESPN.com and learning about that this company existed, and uh, I I ended up doing my senior thesis on psychological inefficiencies in the baseball betting market, getting a full time job offer at LVSC that paid me next to nothing, um, but I moved out to Vegas knew nobody uh, slowly built a bankroll betting you know while working and learning a lot from from you know a lot of old school bookmaker types and you know happened to be in the right place in the right time met the right people that were willing to take a chance on me and have been betting for a living since 2009.
1: Rufus, I have a, I have a quick follow up. I'm just going to, by the way, I'm going to ignore some of what Tom puts in the outline. He can ask, <laughs> he can ask the, the structured questions. But so you have, you know, the statement there. Learned a lot from old school bookmakers, and so you have a very quantitative approach. But I'm imagining that there's a lot that informs it. Uh, that has to do with the way that, you know, kind of like quote unquote, like old school bookmakers would think, you know, like you're sort of like quantifying some things that for them were maybe more intuitive or things that had just been based on years and years of knowledge. Can you talk about some of the things that you did learn from old school bookmakers and then like how that's in your model?
2: Yeah, I think I learned how to think in a lot of ways. I mean, they mm-hmm. think about things creatively. And actually I remember one of the thing projects I did for Kenny white was he wanted me to look and try to find the value of different statistics in projecting out some power rating system that he was, that he had built, you know, how much was a rebound worth relative to, you know, a mid range jumper, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I don't think it was as specific as mid range jumper, but I remember like running some regressions and, and basically coming up with numbers that were like eerily close to what he had figured out kind of intuitively on his own. And I was just so impressed that, you know, he could do that. Maybe maybe he had had some other statistics person, you know, a few years ago do the same thing and, and didn't tell me that. But I was like, how the hell can you do that? Like just, just intuitively on your own. But I think, I mean, I think I came out there a little bit arrogant and thinking that, that I could solve everything just quantitatively. And I think I learned a lot of the limits of that and, and just, I mean, these guys had made it so long in this industry by coming up with, I mean, by asking the right questions and and thinking about things in a unique way, in a logical way. And I think that, that has been, I think my biggest, you know, source of alpha betting over my career has been asking the right questions and thinking about things creatively. Because there's a lot of people out there that can, you know, do quantitative analysis that you know, have much more advanced statistical backgrounds than I do, but it's about asking the right questions of the data. And so you can't just, you know, you can't just toss it into a computer and have the computer come up with all the answers for you. Like some people believe machine learning does. Um, but, or if you do, you're you're probably not going to do very well betting, But Um, so, so it's, 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 I, I think I learned a way of thinking.
0: And, and you, that's an interesting point you bring up about the limits of quantitative analysis. Where, where did you start to find that you were pressing up against a the ceiling there that you had to start incorporating some of these
2: other methods? It's not a ceiling as much as it is that there's certain things that you can't quantify, and and it's really important to know what you don't know. And I think sometimes people can be too confident in what in the fact you know that you're quantifying everything or you think you are, but if you don't understand the weaknesses and the things you can't quantify um you're not going to i mean you're you're going to get into a lot of trouble i mean you might be right in general but there'll be exceptions that you run into and that's the case with any modeling system i mean there's every sort every model has a flaw in some way um you're you're not going to be able to capture everything and if you know if you understand the limits and and how the model's built you know you're you can sort of spot those weak points um i mean there's also I don't know. It's there's also things like I mean injuries, unless you know, unless you're quantifying every player, which is really freaking hard to do, um, especially in a sport like the NFL where you don't have a huge amount of data overall, and 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 you have all these players playing together, um, and the value of one depends on the value of the other in a way, and so it's it it's a really really ch- I mean modeling football is a really challenging endeavor in that regard for sure
0: yeah, it's very true. Models, uh, models can have so many different flaws in them. You can put in just bad data. You can have some sort of error in the way that you're computing it. They can divorce you because you return to play your twenty first season in the NFL. A lot of things can go wrong with them. But specifically in the NFL market here, you don't actually handicap that much any NFL anymore. And it was a really amusing Twitter conversation at the beginning of the season that I saw between you and I forget who it was. But someone was, basically calling you out for being on the golf course the day before the NFL season began. That's Steve Fezzik. Yeah, and you were just like, well, I mean, I'm not going to bet on the NFL, so I don't have to care about it. I'm going to go play golf and enjoy myself right now. But what is it that makes the NFL
2: market so hard for people to bet into? So first off, it isn't, I mean, the way that I do most of my work in a way before the season begins, the work mm-hmm. is spent building the model. And then during the season, it's sort of babysitting and, and imp- implementing things and you have these systems to do it. So I'm not, I, I, I don't make my money researching, reading up on teams, anything like that. Um, I try to capture everything that I can in my model and the things I don't that then I don't. Um, And, you know, clearly, you know, I try to pay attention to injuries and stuff like that, but what your question was, what makes the NFL so difficult? Um, It is the most efficient. It's the biggest sports betting market in the United States. And so it's the most efficient, at least for, sides and totals and you know we've I think we've kind of we've bet less on the nfl or, or fewer things within the nfl um in previous years I mean we were always betting sort of sunday and monday openers for the, for the next week um uh, you know we've got futures and things like that but it's it's just very it's because because of the size of the market um and the amount of data out there I mean it's and the amount of attention on it um it's very, very, very difficult to beat the NFL on game day. You know, it's, it's a really freaking efficient market and there's not that many games either. So like if if you're attacking the NFL, there's a lot of, there's a lot of profitable areas to attack, but it's, it just wouldn't be the prime like sides and totals. I mean, there's a lot of great derivatives, there's props, there's, you know, all sorts of things.
1: You, you just mentioned there historically uh, betting the you know earlier lines uh, Sunday and Monday, and uh, you know so you as a professional better, um, you know a a a bankroll that is sizable enough to need to be deployed to where it makes sense to do this professionally. Um, my question would be sort of like if you're betting earlier, you always hear about limits earlier in the week. And that's especially the case if you're betting even on the look ahead lines.
2: Oh, yeah. um,
1: but is it feasible not for someone to be a professional better betting on look aheads and early lines, but, you know, to be able to put down enough action to where it's, you know, maybe like a, a source of supplemental income, if you're doing it well.
2: Um for the NFL you can get down a good amount early in the week still. Yes. But I think the thing with the NFL that that I think is worth mentioning is just how few games there are in a given season. And yeah. so um you you have so few uh, and and the fact that the lines are pretty sharp means that it just is not you know while it drives a lot of content and stuff like that, it's you know betting NFL sides is even if I'm doing it early in the week and getting great prices it's not going to be a huge source of income for me just because there are only what 200, there was 256 games. Now you have another what 16, so 272 regular season games. It's just when, when that pales in comparison to the number of major league baseball games, you have NBA, even college football and college basketball is like insane. So yeah,
0: and college basketball, the amount of surface area there to attack is just so incredible.
2: Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, it's, it's, you know, I still watch the NFL. It's hard to, it's hard to not want to bet the NFL a little bit just because it's, I feel like, I mean, once I stop betting a sport, I kind of almost stop paying attention to it, attention to it typically. That's kind of what happened with me in baseball. I don't miss it one bit, to be honest. But I, you know, I feel like it would be very weird to not, um, not watch NFL games or, or care. But I think people in my life would, would be very happy that I would, you know, have, more weekend time available
0: but the nice thing about the nfl with those shortened with with the 272 games is that it's not the same grind as the other sports of it's this long long season and so you know it's 17 sundays and change for us throughout the season and then we're back to normal life and you get to enjoy your weekends again doing something that isn't watching football watching golf yeah (laughs) exactly Golf is absolutely the one sport I cannot handle on TV. I I went to the President's Cup when I was a kid. Amazing experience. Almost got run over by one of the golfers. Uh, Mike Weir said hi to me, and we were two feet away from Tiger Woods. You can't do that in any other sport. Watching it on TV, the non-linearity of it just messes me up so badly that I, I get frustrated with it.
2: It's like, gotten better like- in terms of like the the – shot tracer technology and all that stuff the top tracer whatever it's called so you can kind of see the flight path of the ball because i think that's the coolest thing be able to see how these guys shape the balls but
0: yeah for for me the frustrating part is how they bounce back and forth like i don't want to be on the fifth hole and then go to the ninth i want to follow a golfer but i digress here because as much as i know that you would love to talk about golf all day long here (laughs) let's get into the nfl a little bit more here and specifically the massey peabody system it's, of course, available on unabated.com, the NFL power rankings that you update each and every week here. And what, what is it that they mean necessarily? Because it's not just a system of you going in and saying the Bills are better than the Chiefs. So the Bills are my number one team. And obviously, this is all below the Seahawks and Geno Smith. But still, oh, yes. how it, what is it that is going in? What's the, What's the secret that's making the sauce here with this system when you go to approach it every week?
2: So Cade and I developed this back or initially 2000 before the 2010 season, this guy, Michael Salfino, who um, we, well, he wrote, I think for the Meadowlands Media Group and and he and Cade talked and you know, they, were, they had this idea to build this rating system because the Wall Street Journal was interested. And so we ended up doing that. And um, it was very simple in its ambitions at the beginning. It was, it was saying, and it still is in a way. I mean, I think the beauty of it is in, is the simplicity of the framework for it we take just a few statistics that that are that we find to be meaningful predictively and we contextualize them very well so you know i guess a team playing what's a good example um well what was a bad weather game or a team i don't know i mean the so, bears
0: niners week one yeah,
2: yeah okay the bears right like like i wouldn't compare like that weather that, that's an extreme example but but you put any t- like every team is going to struggle on offense in in those particular weather conditions, right? So you control for um, you control for the strength of the opponent, you control for the game situation, you control for you know on a particular play like what is um, a team's down by twenty seven points, the other team is playing a soft zone in the late in the third quarter, they're going to be able to get some yards there, but it doesn't say they're a good team. Um, it doesn't translate. So it's 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 about contextualizing performance. Um, D weighting sort of less predictive garbage time. And so we have a algorithm that does that um, controlling for strength of opponent, as I said, in home field and, and I guess weighting each metric by its predictive value going forward. So a good example is something like turnovers and especially fumble recovery luck is, or fumble recovery percentage or whatever you want to call it. Like fumbles who recovers them are almost entirely luck. There's no, there's no persistent skill. If you told me that this team recovered, you know, 85% of fumbles the first half of the year, I would still expect that they would recover 50% of fumbles the second half of the year. I mean, so that, that kind of thing can really, I mean, could be implicated strongly in final scores and and your assessment of a team. And so we are, we're not looking at final scores. We're looking at the underlying metrics, the things that are predictive and that's, That's yeah, that's what it is. And it's um, we started out only using the current season. Um, It was a very dumb system in that regard. Like we were like, we don't want to put our finger on the trigger, blah, blah, blah. But uh, two years in, we were like, no, we need priors. And so we, you know, we used the previous season's data um, as well. And then we eventually incorporated, we're like, you know what? Quarterbacks make such a difference. The NFL we need, you know, it was team. it was a team based rating system. It still is. But we we. modeled a quarterback element of it as well. And so that's kind of what we have now. And it is not, you know, now there's just so much amazing data out there available. The, you know, where you, I mean, you see it on the Amazon telecasts and, you know, this guy's shoulder pad was angled seven degrees before he made this cut. Like, I don't know what I would do with that data. That's too advanced for me, but Massey Peabody, we are are strictly a team-based rating system. And so, you know, back in 2012, um, the market was much less efficient overall, and you could blindly bet Massey Peabody stuff and do quite well. Um, I wouldn't say that's the case now as much, but it's a good—it's still a good sort of framework and a starting point. And as I mentioned earlier, knowing the weaknesses of your model—that's—that's that's one thing. That I mean, you know that this is a team-based model, and so it's not going to adjust to, you know, a team that it has got hit with injuries. Right, will probably be too bad on them as a result. And so you—you you can kind of use it as a starting point, knowing that what it's based off of. Um, and then make adjustments yourself if you want. So a good example might be, if you think that Tom Brady, you know, use it, like we had a prior on Tom Brady based on how good he's been in the past and all that stuff. Um, and you know, he is old, but he's been, he was quite good last year and he, well, the bucks have not been as good this year on offense. And so you might say, okay, well, I'm holding on too strongly to that that prior on Tom Brady. And so, you know, you might say, oh, Massey Peabody's wrong there. If you believe that. Um, Personally, I think that it's probably, um, I I think that the market is probably overreacting a little bit there too. It's probably some combination, you know, partly the truth, but Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, you know I go off on tangents. I just keep talking, so you just got to cut me off sometimes. So <laughs> you're, I, you're, yeah, you're, go ahead.
0: you are completely right. Like for me, and it goes very much into qualitative analysis here, but just the eye test and looking at Tom Brady's stats, it's not like the Brett Favre situation where you know he goes to the championship game and then the next season comes back for one more ride and just gets beaten up and it's all sad. That's or a or Peyton Haney Peyton Haney,
2: situation, right? Exactly,
0: where he his carcass was dragged by that defense to a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Brady's still good, but he's not the problem. He has no problem with arm strength. It's not like he's really turning the ball over more. It's
2: just that the team has been hurt. He's like going to whoever's wedding it was, right? Um Kraft. Yeah, you know, he's going to Robert Kraft's wedding on Friday rather than going to practice, right? So I don't know. I, I, th- I it feels like it feels like it, at least the narrative is the fact that he hasn't been put in the same amount of time and effort as he has in past seasons. Cause he was trying, he's trying to like save his marriage and do all these other things. And you can't, you can't be great unless you give it ev- absolutely everything.
0: God, what an awful trade off blowing up your family to lose to Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett and whoever and else now. PJ Walker. Yeah. PJ Walker.
1: <laughs>
2: Pajama Speaking- Walker
1: yeah, speaking of of p j. Walker, I'm looking at the the Massey Peabody rankings here. And you know you see that Carolina is number thirty, Washington is thirty one, the Colts are number thirty two here. And you had mentioned that there's a you you guys have layered in a quarterback component into the uh the rankings. So even though it's uh, a team based model, there is a quarterback component. And so you know I'm looking here, seeing these teams with uh you know PJ Walker uh with backups basically at the the bottom of the yeah. rankings here. And so you know I'm wondering you know the move from uh Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger, uh, you know, you now have the Colts. They were number 29 before, now they're number thirty-two. Uh I'm assuming that the uh the Ellinger news has been taken into account in this, and that is why the Colts are at the, the very bottom of the rankings here.
2: Yes, definitely. And maybe Ellinger is better than Matt Ryan at this point. I, I would probably I would bet against it, but you know, if I'm the Colts, um you, you know, at least he's he's different, he's got upside and all that. But the thing is, a guy making his first start, like we have data on this in the past to say how much I don't even remember what round Ellinger was drafted in, but but guys typically, even, even the best guys that end up becoming all pro quarterbacks don't start there most of the time. Their first start isn't always that way. Um yeah. so like we remember the Russell Wilsons, the RG3s from that same season, I guess. The um what's another good example of a guy that just came out guns a blazing? Um did Deshaun Cam Watson. Newton. No. Cam Newton was great his rookie year. Mm-hmm. But there's so many guys that, I mean, even if they and the thing is you might have a few good starts and and people like even like bailey zappy right um and people are like oh look this guy's actually really good and it's like well no i mean in in one game there's a lot of randomness in one game um there's a lot of and and there's a lot of in a weird way correlated randomness like was the game plan good or not you know was this guy making plays within this framework where it was very easy for him to do because of you know, the, this defense wasn't adjusting for this one thing or something like that, you go into another game, it could be a completely different circumstance, Um, but, but basically the, there's a strong prior um, that is, that basically says, this is your first start. You're not a number one overall quarterback, a really highly touted quarterback. You're probably not going to be that good. And it takes a good amount of data for us to sort of adjust that, that guy's rating. And so, you know, even if Ellinger lights it up, you know, would he move up more than his, would his quarterback rating move up more than like a point or so? Probably not.
1: Yeah. You just mentioned there, um, you know, kind of the idea of, of a prior built into this and strong priors. And you mentioned Tom Brady too. And so, you know, looking at the Massey Peabody ratings, you know, I see
2: that. Um, yeah. The Tampa looks too high, don't they? They look too high to me too.
1: Well, no, I mean, actually, I I think they were too high previously, but, you know, there's what I would think of as a pretty significant move from around six points to around, you know, four and a half points or so this week, Uh, you know, Cincinnati moving up from three points last week to four points this week, like for that kind of move and, you know, similar sized moves for some of these other teams from one week to the next. That feels like a a kind of large move, like to be able to jump up uh, a point or a point and a half. uh, Like Kansas City moving up uh, a point and a half from last week Uh to this week. San Francisco moving down about a point from last week to this week. That feels like a lot, and maybe I'm uh, just wrong. Like, there's obviously, but I'm just saying, like. It feels like at this point of the season, like about the halfway point, you know, entering week eight, for there to be a system that has an adjustment of a point against the spread each week, that feels extreme. Can you talk about that?
2: So I would have thought most people would have thought the opposite, like only a point, like they blew this team out, the, you know. I'll say, sorry to yeah.
1: interrupt. I'll say uh, there's a very strong chance that I, when I'm adjusting my stuff, that I am too slow. And it's better to be off of priors. I think it's better to be. Yeah.
2: I think the mistake people make is overreacting rather than underreacting. And I think, if I think the one thing that I think we've been criticized for and we criticize ourselves for, um, but is that we are too slow, I feel like, to we're too slow to update our view on quarterbacks Mm -hmm. because it is. I'll, I'll tell you the reason for that though is it's really hard to separate the quarterback from the rest of the offense in terms of value. Yeah. And in a way, if like in a way we're going to think that Ellinger is going to be worse or the Colts are going to be worse with Ellinger it's going maybe a bigger drop off because we're like well the Colts played the Colts were awful with Matt Ryan who we know has a track record of being at least a above a- like an average to slightly above average quarterback right like we don't know we don't know what was causing the what was causing the team to underperform there exactly we have the statistics but we don't know if that that pass you know it could we don't know if the, the anemic passing is due to the system. If it's due to the players, it's due to Matt Ryan. Like we can say, according to our eyes, that it's definitely Matt Ryan. Um, that's what I would have said. A lot of it's Matt Ryan, but, but so in essence, it's going to look like, like, we're not going to assign all this. We're not going to assign all the blame to Matt Ryan this season. And so now when, but if we, if, if it actually was Matt Ryan that's doing it, then suddenly it's, it's going to look like the rest of the Colts team is very bad rather than it just being Matt Ryan. But I do think think it's better to adjust slowly and overall. Yes. Like I feel like some of the, some of the actual nominal rating movements are going to like, you could have a team that doesn't actually move at all, but another team gets a starting quarterback back. And so that'll scale Mm -hmm. the ratings will change a little bit. It'll scale things that way too. So, I mean, yeah, that, that is, that is the biggest reason for, movement and ratings. And that's the hardest thing to deal with this freaking quarterbacks and quarterback injuries. And you say that
1: you say that, and that makes a lot of sense to me because every week, you know, some quarterback will return a quarterback will get injured and I'll have to adjust ratings for all of the teams to get it to sort of like the, the net reset. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And a a couple things there be, as you talk about quarterback injuries versus a situation like Matt Ryan, where he's just being replaced that, influences your rankings differently when it's injury versus replacement, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, we do, as weird as this sounds, we have a, a marker, like a designation that says like quarterback out, like this could, this guy's replacing an injured quarterback. And cause we have, you know, back in the, we have data since 2000 and we've been able to like, we've gone through and coded out situations where a team, a quarterback was out due to injury. We have like historical injury reports. And so, um, we're able to sort of like knowing that, knowing that Sam Ellinger is coming in to replace a benched Matt Ryan, um, our number is going to be a little bit different than if we if if Matt Ryan was injured and Ellinger was forced to come in. It, it basically it, it it says something about the organization has enough confidence in him that they want to bring him in. Love Matt Ryan, just like you know, it if if Geno Smith got hurt and Drew Lock comes in you know our rating on drew lock is going to be different than if drew Locke had won the starting job over geno smith in a way yeah. like it's common sense if you think about it it's like well i'm going to trust that the coach in the organization knows what's best knows which player best like how how the hell am i going to say that this quarter you know they see these guys in practice etc i mean that doesn't mean they're always right and so that, that's you know but it's i mean like right now washington we were pretty low on washington because I I have the injury designation thing on Heineke, even though I'm like, I feel awful doing that. So there is a bit of a subjective component there too. I'm like, well, Wentz is garbage. Like, like Heineke is just as good at this point, probably, which probably isn't true, but I don't know. You're right. He's better. (laughs) He's, he's, I think he's better in a offense that he's better on a bad team in a way. Yeah. He's more high variance or he can, he can make more plays himself and do and and improvise better than Wentz can.
0: That's that's what I'm a little worried about with Ellinger going in the He is much more mobile than Matt Ryan, given that Matt Ryan is 80 years old. Isn't anybody more mobile than Matt Ryan? Exactly. It's the same thing with Joe Flacco versus Zach Wilson for me, where that offense saw a little bit of an uptick from the fact that Flacco was throwing 52 times a game, but he was a statue in the pocket. Zach Wilson able to get outside the pocket. There's a little more mobility. Zach Wilson has done like
2: nothing there, though.
0: Well, he's look, looked
2: so bad, but the I, Jets. Yeah,
0: I I'm fully, fully aware of that. But the offense has been able to have a little more success. Partially They've been because running. They're not
2: yeah. yeah, they're in no the longer deep.
0: passing 52 times a game. Rest in peace, Brees Hall. Take my but wait, ACL, wait. they please. were
2: passing. They were passing, I believe, largely because they were in games, negative game states where they were playing from behind. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, one one more question here I have about Massey Peabody ratings and, and kind of thinking about um it's not even so much about the ratings but um you know I'm looking at them now one team obviously near the top uh and this would not just be your your rate, uh, ratings but everyone's ratings um the Eagles are uh you know a team that you guys have number 6. I think for some people they would think that's even uh, a little bit low, low but, right? but yeah. you know clearly one of the better teams in the league. Uh, and then you have the Steelers down at number 29. And you know, we have those two teams going up against each other this week. And if we uh, think about the spread in this game, in the offseason market, you know, you have sportsbooks that will release uh, numbers months in advance. Uh, this number was three and a half to four uh, in favor of the Eagles and then, you know, opened uh, in the early line around 10 and a half. And, you know, it feels like it could continue to move towards the Eagles as we get towards kickoff. Can you talk a little bit about the, the prior sort of like the, the strong prior or the the strength of the prior where you can look back to the number from the off season and say, okay, these teams were in this position and now over the course of two months of game action, we have seen this line move in such a way that it's gone through the seven, gone through the 10, yeah. uh, and you know, it it might hit 14, you know, like there's a chance this happens. I so
2: that's 14. It,
1: it, you never know. It probably won't, but like there at some point resistance has to happen. And so kind of the question is like, how do you take that movement into account and kind of know when to get off of certain priors and when the the point comes to where it's like
2: this is just this line has moved too far. So that's interesting. Okay, so you said when to get off priors, and I think the thing is, we gradually, our numbers are gradually departing from the priors. Like in season becomes more and more important every week, and it 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 kind of changes for different things in a way. Like so, we tend to react more quickly to the team than we do to like the quarterback play because it's very hard in season to sort of separate, you know, especially if you have the quarterback in the offense, like the quarterback quarterbacking that team the entire time. Um, I think in general, you, there are like, and I think in this case, it's not that Hertz is a a completely different quarterback than he was last year. I think he's got a good system. He's got good weapons around him, a good line. Like, I mean, it's, it's a good situation for him. Um, But so there probably are times and, and Kate and I have talked about this. Kate actually was like, you know, are there ways that we, has asked me like, are there ways we can try to identify like when we're wrong on a prior where we're like, okay, we need to just depart from this entirely because something has happened enough to show us that this is this, what we believed was wrong. Um, but I think that's really hard to do. And it's, it's certainly the, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, at least the way we've looked at it, not really possible to just say, okay, this is now we're done with the prior. It's just that the in season is outweighing it. And so in this case, we started the season with Philadelphia um, as a league average team or minus 0.05. And Pittsburgh is exactly three points worse than that. And so, and now we're at a point where, what's what's the number now? Philadelphia is improved by three and a half points and Pittsburgh's worse by um about a point and a half or so and so you know they've 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 gone a different way but if, if i made these numbers without a prior it'd be like you would see philadelphia be way freaking better um and pittsburgh be way worse i mean because philadelphia like i'm looking at the um these sort of unit grades which i need to tweet out today at some point um philadelphia like their 90th percentile in pass offense this year they are 82nd percentile in scoring efficiency offense, which is, which is the ability to translate um, yards efficiently into points. Mm-hmm. So that that'll capture a lot of reds on stuff, special teams um, third and fourth down, et cetera. Um, they're 90th in play success on offense. So they're, you know, yeah. the only thing they're averaging is rushing offense and, and on defense, they're, they're what 98th percentile in passing defense. So they're 90th percentile passing offense, 98th percentile passing defense. It's a passing league. Like that's, pretty freaking good 78 percentile scoring efficiency efficiency defense 85th percentile play success defense they've been really really good across the board and you know the question is how much of that is is sustainable and how much isn't and so we if we just went off that off that we'd have them probably as the second best team in the league and i actually probably should generate a i'm going to generate a no prior massey peabody number um I got to find code to do that somewhere just to kind of show how it would be, how it would be different if we had no, if went into the season without any beliefs on these teams, without any information, Mm -hmm. Um, we would be yeah a lot higher in Philadelphia. And so
0: with some of these teams too, like some of the big changes that you're now starting to make you, uh, you see the two teams that jumped the most spots this week, the Seahawks and the Chargers
2: going in opposite ways, of course, but we've been low in the Chargers basically the whole time. Like, yeah, we were low going into the season on the Chargers which, you know, I know that they're a trendy pick. No, we thought, proving. Well, we we thought they were half a point better than the league average team going into the season and I know people thought they were a Super Bowl contender.
0: Yeah. But it turns out the old adage is true, you can take the Chargers out of San Diego, but you can't take the Chargers <laughs>
2: out of the Chargers. Dude, does any team have worse injury luck like year after year? I, I the Ravens recently, but it's just such a consistent
0: trend with this team. And then it's not even just the injury luck, but it doesn't matter who the coach is. It doesn't matter what happens. You know, you, there almost has to be a quantitative way to just th- milk it, mix in the Chargersness of this team because that no one is better at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And it's just proven time and time again.
2: Yeah. It wasn't. um Oh, who was the, oh God. North um, Turner. And, wait, who was the, um, no, recent um coach got fired oh the last guy was it vance, joseph? To... No, vance no, joseph no Vance no, no. Joseph Broncos offensive guy and um i'm blank yeah my my yeah the coach what happens when you get all anthony lynn. For... yeah yeah i, I got yeah. the anthony part but <laughs> yeah. anthony lynn there we go yeah it i always thought anthony lynn got kind of a raw deal because you know Exactly. As you said, it's, it was the charger part, not the Anthony Lynn part.
0: Yeah. I mean, Norv Turner got a raw deal. They went like 13 and three and he got fired.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, well, the problem is it's the curse of having former Washington coaches. Yeah. Norv Turner and Marty Schottenheimer. You, you, you bring that, you bring the, the curse of the Indian burial ground that's underneath FedEx fields and it, it comes with the coaches, I guess. Well, but I guess it, it didn't go with Kyle. No, it probably did go with Kyle Shanahan to Atlanta. It, it definitely went with
0: Kyle Shanahan, but then everybody else on that coach. I mean, you had Sean McVay, nah, Kyle Shanahan, yeah. and who was the third guy? Was it LaFleur? Lafleur? Lafleur, yeah, yeah. That is just a ridiculous coaching tree to branch out there. But it, going going back to the Chargers, yeah, they're snake bitten with the injuries, but then it's still been. I definitely think that play calling hasn't been aggressive enough on this team. I, I think your, your rating for them is completely right. They have been a real disappointment.
2: Well, so what's interesting is, I mean, I was low on them last year too. And I think that they were, they seemed in my opinion, overachieved their peripherals. And a lot of that might've been the play calling. The fact that they just didn't let Justin Herbert throw the ball more. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how good he was on third down and when under pressure, it was like, he was really good in the high highest leverage situations. And so, it made him, in my opinion, sort of look better. It made that team look better than they actually were if you just look at every play. And so this year, they, they're, I assume hasn't been the same magic. I mean, they're 56th percentile on passing offense, um, but they're below average in everything else, basically, on offense. So third percentile rushing offense, that's really low.
0: Now, I want to talk to you a little bit before we, uh, before we let you out of here. I want to talk to you a little bit about betting trends, mostly because on this show every week, we hear uh, we hear about Kyle Shanahan as a road favorite, as a home dog. Uh, Matt Matt loves using trends in his analysis, and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus here, Matt. But I'm curious for your thoughts on how you parse out signal versus noise when it comes to trends that actually mean something. Like there are some that are just a given that you can you can lay out a rational reasoning for this. The uh, Texas Longhorns six and one uh, straight up after on the weekend after a taylor swift album release no we I mean, know that they're being powered that one victory. makes sense yeah. yeah we know that they're being powered to victory by the music of taylor swift but what about some of these other ones like a coach as a favorite a quarterback as a dog teams- Andy Reid off a
2: buy that type yeah. of thing it, when,
0: when does when does a trend like that become signal to you
2: so i think you can come up with the narrative for basically any trend like any reasonable trend i mean the I think I've railed against trends a lot over the years and I, I believe one example I tweeted was year, a few years back was that college football teams that started with the letter O were 58% against, no, I think it was 55% against the spread in the like previous 12 years spanning like 700 and something games, which is like insanity to think, right? Like you're like, how could, you know, if it was like, you could look at the same thing and if there was a rational explanation, you'd be like, well, that's definitely something real because it's 55% over 700 games. So I think part of it is you want to be looking for something, before, like have the narrative in mind before you actually see the trend. Like I agree with be, that. Like ask the question and look for the answer. I think you could find like the same thing could exist. But if you're if you're just mining all this data and, and you find, oh, these are the significant things. Can I come up with a rational explanation for it? You've seen that it's, it looks significant. You're going to come up, you can probably come up with some idea, but you have no way of saying whether that idea is actually like real or not? Like, I mean, most narratives tend to be, you know, not backed up by numbers, probably. So, yeah. I I would say that, yeah, like just not just searching brute force for things that turn up significance. Um, but so, the way I handle it is, I look for things that I can quantify, not in terms of like a trend against the spread, but like if they're let, let's say, oh, like oh, well, actually, that's a bad example, but let's say that. Andy Reid has Andy Reed teams have you know they're twelve and one against this. I have no idea what the number is. Uh, really, really good against the spread off the bye weeks. Um, well, they're probably it's probably because they're pl- like I I'd be like, well, are they? Is it an effect on offense? And then I would look and see it, are there significant change? Are there significant differences? Like if Andy Reid is really good off of bye weeks. And for that to be true, I would assume that there's other coaches that are less good, right? Or that there's a there's this whole distribution of coaches' effects off of bye weeks. It's like if we found that Andy Reid is the only one that is where there's any signal there. To me, that would that would say, okay, that's maybe just an anomaly, a statistical anomaly. But I don't. know. Sorry, I'm not explaining this very well. I'd actually make a mixed effects model to to look at this to get all nerdy about it, no, but just is, to, to see what good. the distribution yeah. of coach sorry, I hit the mic, what the distribution of coaching effects in terms of coming off a bye week are, not against the spread, like looking at how the team right. actually performed. So, I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, if you think, right, is thinking about sort of adjacent effects. Like if there's an effect for this coach, there probably effects for other coaches. And if we just see, if we look at the whole spectrum of other coaches and it just looks like a reg, like just randomness, if it looks like, like it's, if it's indiscernible from, if you just randomly simulated and, you know. But you have this one coach that's way up here. Maybe, maybe they're an outlier that really, maybe they're the Wrigley Field of coaches. Who knows? Wrigley, in, in the sense that the wind has more of an impact at Wrigley Field by like a factor of three than any other stadium. Yeah. You know, that maybe they are, but, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just randomness. So, yeah.
0: Guys, real quick. I want to talk to you about Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest-growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. My friends and I changed over this year, and I absolutely love it. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now, you can win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. For example, rushing yards in a football game or number of points in a basketball game. Then, choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my friends' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my group's picks with the tap of a button, along with Over Under integrated into the fantasy experience itself. It's insanely fun to ride it out together, so stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new Over Under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Use the promo code Pros when you sign up for a Sleeper account today and Sleeper will automatically credit your account $100 to get you started. Terms and conditions apply. See sleeper.com for details.
1: So it, it, so you you mentioned and I agree with everything that you said there. I remember on I think like uh this was an episode a long time ago of uh your your podcast with uh with Jeff where I think I don't remember exactly. I think it was dr bob you're talking because he was oh, you know, yes, like better. and, and uh, so i, I this feel is like, like maybe
2: our fifth podcast episode ever in like early yeah. 2017 when we were like making enemies fast yeah. and yeah yeah
1: so i i feel like you said something like okay like if you if you see something in this trend maybe there's something there that is actually real but then like quantify it and put it in your model yeah that's it, yeah yep yeah. And, and so the so the idea so the question is let's say that someone actually does notice something in a trend right and so let's say for instance Kyle Shanahan horrible as a favorite great as an underdog right? Like just in terms of like against the spread, like that's, that's a real thing. And then let's say you don't actually have the sophistication to build out a model in terms of like the coding of kind of like factoring in different things in terms of game script and and like game state, but you actually do dig into the numbers and you see, okay, when he's a favorite, he calls plays in this way. And when he's an underdog or like when the 49ers are trailing, he calls plays in this way. And so you can actually sort of, even if you just sort of bucket things out, you can see the difference between uh, how, how plays are called, how the offense performs, but you actually don't have the sophistication of incorporating that into your model. Mm -hmm. So if that is the case, let me, let me rephrase that incorporating it in, in terms of like a, um, like a prediction, but if you have a model that is just based on sort of like against the spread things, maybe you just sort of try to quantify it by saying, "Yeah, I think that's worth half a point or like, or whatever it is. But let's say someone actually does notice something, but they don't have the model in that case. How do you think someone should approach it?
2: Well, if you don't have a model, what you're trying to do is just find, and you don't have access to a model that's, I don't know that right. What you're trying to do if you don't have a model is try to find st- something the market isn't accounting for in a way that you think there's signal to, right? So if you think that the market is not incorporating the fact that Kyle Shanahan tends to, his teams tend to play down to their opponents or play up to their opponents, which is, I assume what they would be doing if, if they tend to do better when they're a dog than when they, and worse when they're a favorite, um, they'd be playing her up or down to their quality of their opposition. If you, if you thought that, if you thought the market wasn't incorporating that, then you would say, okay, they are 13 point favorite. I think that they're, you know, the, I don't think the market's incorporating that. So I think there's value betting the underdog, right? I mean, but in terms of, I can, so I don't, I don't know in terms of if I didn't have a model, how I would handle it. I would, I mean, I I get, I, I like what you're talking about in terms of like granularity and saying, okay, well, Is it because of the style of play at this point, or I mean, there could also be just the fact that it's like a preparation thing. Mm -hmm. I know how there could be a a lot of parts about why it's the case. Yeah, is it? Because I mean, because you know, if you're a three point underdog or a three point favorite, you're not expected to have like drastically different like amounts of time in different game states, like different, Mm -hmm. but not like drastically, drastically different versus like a ten point favorite and a ten point underdog. And so, just in terms of like for props, just predicting like a team's pass rate is a function of the point spread because yeah, you know, the same team. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole point there is just that you're, you know, if you're trailing, you're going to be throwing the ball more, and if you're up, you're going to be running the ball more relative to your baseline overall. And so, certainly there could be a impact in that regard, though, if like if the but so I like that. I like the idea of approaching it that way, but if there was an effect, I would, I would look at it in terms of like trying to see if it's game state based or like opponent skill based, mm-hmm. like how much is, is each and then sort of, and then again, I would, I'd be interested in seeing if like, cause it presumably if, if Kyle Shanahan is different in this regard than other coaches or other teams, then there would be some other coaches that maybe are the opposite too. Like they're, and so for me, being able to sort of gauge the populate, the effect, if there's any other, the effect in the whole population would, I guess, give me greater clarity on whether, how significant the Kyle Shanahan effect really is.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, guys. Sorry, I know but, I
2: didn't answer your question.
1: No, no. I mean, no, you, you answered it in, in exactly the way I thought you would. Like, it, it was a very Rufus
2: answer. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have an answer, so I just like, I just uh, gerrymandered a little bit. No, it was, it's I mean, not gerrymander. What did I say? Gerrymander. I didn't gerrymander. I, um, you filibustered. I filibustered <laughs> gerrymandering. Oh my now, God.
0: <laughs> guys, Rufus, we've kept you here more than long enough, but we're going to keep you here a tiny bit longer, if that's okay to talk I'm about I'm enjoying it. this.
2: I'm enjoying you, you know, it. Keep it going as long as you guys want. I'm glad
0: most of our guests hate the show. So <laughs> Now, Thursday night football, it is a battle of mobile quarterbacks here as the Ravens take on the Buccaneers and Tampa, they're going to be one point to one and a half point, even two points. You can you can get it's running the gamut here right now. Circa has it at two, but our friends at BetMGM have it at one and a half right now. So if you know you wanted to take that one thousand dollar free bet that you get by signing up for BetMGM using the promo code BettingPros, then you might be looking at taking the uh, at taking the Bucks at one and a half, or you might be going to the Ravens. Uh, who are the road favorites here right now in this one. Matt, where are you going in this game? And this really brings it back to our adjustments here of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and how far we are bringing them down. Rufus, what are you thinking about the Bucks? One and a half point home dogs now.
2: Yeah, so my number would be Bucks 2.9, actually. So small favorite, which, you know, you can call me, insane or whatever if you want that's fine um but I, I i you know i wouldn't say that that's the if i was if i was booking this game i wouldn't book it at minus two and a half or minus three to the bucks um but i, I guess it it comes down to whether you think at least i'm direct like massively he's directionally correct there and if if people are a little bit overreacting to how the bucks have looked so far um and i think i think They probably are, uh, the market is overreacting a little bit, but you know, so if forced to choose, I would, I would choose the bucks. But as I said, I have, I actually have not been betting NFL sides, which is kind of too bad because I feel like I would have crushed it last week. Every week I do, every week I do the, um, unabated pick 'em contest all all two weeks that I've actually done it. Um, I've gone based on the strong Massey Peabody plays and I think I'm like eight and two, so I should, uh. I mean, who knows? I might have, you know, I went 0 and 20 the other weeks, but that's because I didn't do any, put any picks in. But
0: you miss every
1: shot you don't take. Exactly,
2: Matt. What do you think? Oh, no, I was just saying. So I would, I would, I would lean Tampa here for sure. If I Matt, how about you?
1: Yeah, uh, directionally I'm I'm with Rufus. And so, you know, I I asked him earlier about, you know, like hey, you you guys one week from the next adjusted, you know, by a point or a point and a half. That seems like a lot. Like I I hardly ever adjust that much week to week, but last week or last week to this week, I did it for Tampa Bay, but I think it's cuz I stayed on them so long. Up to this point in the season, uh, and so I'm still, you know, leaning Tampa Bay at this point. I have it uh, Tampa Bay favored uh, by 0.5 points, and so you know, it's not like there's a massive difference, uh, you know, going across zero. But you know, I do have them favored, uh, you know, relative to where they are at this point uh, by you know two or two and a half points. I will say though, in the the look ahead market, this was Baltimore plus three. And that's the bet that I made, because I just I saw that number. And I, you know, based on what I had at the time, uh, and just based on market sentiment and the games last week, I thought, okay, I, I think this number is going to move towards Baltimore. So I, I bet it so I that's the position I have. But based on the numbers in the market now, and the projections I have, uh, I think Tampa Bay is the side. All
0: right. Well, if you guys are both going to say that, I am going to get out of here and go rush to bet this line because that's that's a pretty good endorsement for me. <laughs> but guys, thank you so much. Rufus, thank you so much for being here today. One more time, where can people find you and the great work you're doing around the internet?
2: You know, you can find at least the mediocre work um, on, I guess, on my Twitter page uh rufus peabody you can find um let's see bet the process podcast and unabated.com if you haven't signed up we have a seven week free trial um all these cool betting tools that can help make you a smarter better
1: and by the way, I should just, I should give the plug. Uh, yeah, Rufus is uh, incredibly sharp and he has Captain Jack there with him at, uh, at Unabated and uh, Dan Fabrizio, shout out Dan, uh, my uh, former boss at one point at, uh, at Fantasy Labs. Uh, so a great group that they got there. And Tom, you are uh, now part of the Unabated team, which is very exciting.
0: That is true. I, I am working on getting the same contract uh, clause that Rufus
2: has that allows us to not go bald very important sticking point here yeah it's you know, yeah
0: all right guys I to negotiate
2: hard for that one I have to say yeah it.
0: it's an important one to keep in there but for now guys that is gonna do it for us we'll be back here on thursday breaking down the slate as always but for now ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for being with us today don't forget to hit that like button and of course let's cash those tickets.